Ahoy there, me mateys. <laughs> it be me, Captain Chessbeard. And this be the 104th episode of the Tuesday Night Podcast. <laughs> but it be a special episode, ye see, for it be Halloween. And as per tradition here at the Tuesday Night Podcast, we like to share us some scary stories. They will shiver your timbers. They will raise your mizzens. They will set your sails afire with fear. <laughs> or not. I don't know. I don't care. But you see, these not be me own tales. Nay, these be the tales from those noble guests we had here on the Tuesday Night Podcast most recently in the month of October. First, we have the story of the Red Light, as told by the Australian lady Phoebe Wild, then her employer Ted Allspock. From episode 103, just this here last episode, tells this horrid story of the drone that would not die. <laughs> if you own a drone, beware when you listen to this story. It be true. In fact, all of these stories, they be true. And we'll round it up with the story from Razlo, the creator of Billionaire Ambenchi. You see, Razlo will be on the next episode, episode 105. Do ye dare listen to these here stories? Maybe there be some bonus for ye in it. Maybe a surprise story, a scary story. Well, let's raise anchor and set sail on this episode. Was awful. <laughs> I'm Alan Gerding. This is the Tuesday Night Podcast, the podcast all about the stories we make while playing the games we love on, around, and under the gaming table. Ducking board games. But happy Halloween, everyone. Let's get into some stories for this episode. We're going to start off right away with Phoebe Wilde's story The Red Light. <laughs> All right, so I spent a lot of time trying to think of a good, scary story to tell, and I hope this one will do it. Don't worry. Our standards are very low here on the Tuesday Night Podcast. <laughs> okay, good, good. I'm fine then. <laughs> so. I was at a sleepover party when I was eight years old. It was at my friend's house, and she lived in middle of nowhere. Their house literally had no electricity. Their house was only powered by solar power. 
couldn't use much electricity. We were in this old stone house with big open drafty windows and no curtains and no lights we could turn on really. And this isn't just the middle of nowhere. This is the middle of nowhere, Australia. Yeah, so you know bad shit's gonna happen. So there were 15 of us at this sleepover party. We'd gone to bed and then middle of the night, one of us wakes up and looks out the window and we see in the distance this red flashing light that's just flashing on and off occasionally. And it looks like it's moving closer, very, very slowly. It's just slowly moving closer towards the house. And we freak out because obviously it's aliens, clearly. What else could it be? So naturally, we designate the oldest in our group. She was 12 years old, the rest of us were 11. She gets to be the leader of our group. She leads us through the house and we go and wake up the birthday girl's parents because obviously we need their help defend against an alien invasion, clearly. We wake up Claudia's parents and they kind of roll over and we tell them that there are aliens coming to the house and they just kind of look at us and go back to sleep. We're left to fend to ourselves. It's like every parent figure in any scary movie ever that stars kids. The biggest opponent isn't even the monster or the aliens in your case, but the apathy of the parents. It was terrible. So obviously left to fend for ourselves, we go back to the bedroom and Kate, who was the oldest, who we've designated as the leader, she stands on the bed and gives us all a pep talk about how we're going to deal when the aliens come to invade the house. We stand awake all night, ready to defend the house, and it looks like it's getting closer all the time, but also is the same distance as it was at the start of the night, if that makes sense. It does. I'm a psychologist. I know all about the autokinetic effect. Boom. This is a knowledge drop. I'll talk about that later. Don't let me interrupt the story. Continue. <laughs> so, you know, red light still looks like it's moving closer. We're very scared. And we stay awake all night. We've got weapons from within the room. We had positions in the room, but we we're working on the idea that we'd hide. And then if they found us, we would fight back. And then we drift off sometime just after dawn and wake up and we see flashing out the window in the distance. The red light's still there, but it's a radio tower. Disaster averted. This is a perfect example of the autokinetic effect. I teach this to my students every year. Autokinetic effect is a visual perception phenomenon where a stationary small point of light surrounded by darkness always appears to move by the human eye. So it's a great way to freak people out at nighttime. So if you want to mess with kids at campgrounds or at a sleepover, just hang a light in the far distance and make sure it's in pitch black and they'll think the light is moving throughout the night. It's pretty phenomenal stuff, actually. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you so much for that frightful tale of slumbering preteens, Phoebe. Phoebe Wild. Thanks a lot. You can find her by going to 
cardboardvault.com or just listen to episode 102. She's on it. But now it's time to go to something more frightful. Let's go to the man that's in charge of your employment, Ted Allspock of Bezier Games. Yes. Let's hear the story that he'll spin for us. <laughs> My story is the story of the drone that would not die. This is terrifying, actually. If you've ever flown a drone at all, we were building our house out here in Tennessee, and I was using the drone to take pictures around it, and I thought that was really cool. And because I am a professional drone pilot, at least I thought I was, I decided I would go inside the house as it's being built. fly around pretty good. And then I got to what we call the safe room, which is the totally enclosed concrete room underneath our porch. It's a very small room. It's probably about six feet wide by maybe 12 feet or so. But again, professional drone flyer, so not a problem. Went in there with the drone, was looking around a little bit, you know, taking it easy because it's a small space. That was all fine. And then, well, something happened. I decided in my infinite wisdom that I was concerned that the drone might fly into one of those concrete walls. So I just held on to the one, one of the legs of the drone just to make sure it wouldn't drift at all. And then I used the left stick to move it around a little bit, forgetting that it was the other stick that actually did the motion to turn. And by using the stick on my hand, I was actually moving the drone, not turning it. As I could feel it pulling away, I realized my mistake, and I could see there was an evil glare from the drone at the time. It just didn't click that the drone had suddenly taken on kind of a personality and an aggressiveness of its own. So I went to adjust it back. It was too late. And at that point, it was a fight between me and the drone, and the drone, actually, the propellers, which are plastic, they dug into my arm. There was blood everywhere. There was blood and gore all over the safe room. I could not control the drone. I was holding it with one hand, and it was jumping down with its propellers, biting me, until I was finally able to let go, because you need two hands to actually pull down on the little joysticks there to turn off the motor. Couldn't do that while I was holding it with one hand because I'm an idiot and I know this of course, but in the panic of it biting me and it's zipping around like that, I didn't do that until I was already bleeding and in pain. And then I finally let it go and it hit me on the way down, which I think was just its last licks. I didn't know it was being powered off. But at that point I was scarred and I actually have a scar on my arm where it dug in and there was a good amount of blood. I probably should have gone to an emergency room, but of course I'm a guy and eh, it'll be fine. But yeah, I have actually a scar on my forearm from that drone that attacked me in our basement. Thank you so much, Ted. Remember, you can check out Ted and all his games by just Googling Bezier Games, going to Twitter, whatever. Named after the Bezier Curve. He makes One Night Ultimate Werewolf. 
all sorts of great games. Check them out, Castle of Mad Lugwig, or you can just listen to episode 103, which is the episode before this. But now we're going to turn to a story that doesn't include potential dismemberment like the one we just heard, no. Now we're going to go to a story of life and death. And for this one, we're going to turn to a guest that has yet to officially appear on this podcast, Razlo, the maker of Billionaire Banshee and other games. If you want to hear the full interview with Razlo, you're going to have to tune in next episode. Episode 100, what are we at? Five? Because this is 104? Yeah. That's probably the scariest thing this episode is that you're going to have to wait for a full interview. Anyway. Let's let Razlo tell his story of life and potential death. <laughs> Boo. My story is, I'll kill you in the worst way possible. So this story takes place back when I was in college in Boston. I think it was my first year going to college in Boston and the winter chill had taken a place in Newbury Street, but I was soldiering on because I wanted to I wanted to make some money to buy some nice gifts for my family and friends, but I didn't have a job at that point. I'm like, I'm an artist. I can make products, I can make goods. I made some offensive holiday greeting cards. And so I made these very offensive holiday greeting cards, some of which people thought were very funny, but were too offensive for anyone to ever buy. And I just had them on an art board. I was doing really good. I'd only been an hour and I think I'd made like almost $200 just within that hour selling these greeting cards just on the side of the street. Suddenly this figure from the other side of Newbury Street starts shuffling towards me. And he's saying, I'll kill you. I'm going to kill you in the worst way possible. And he just starts shuffling back towards me. And I'm getting like, what the hell is good? And I'm like, maybe he's not talking to me. And he's like, I'm going to kill you. And he just keeps coming towards me. He's definitely talking to me. There's no one else around. Everyone else has moved away. I'm the only one between him and his murder goal, I guess. I look down into his hand that he's got out by his side. And that's when I realized that he has a hypodermic needle in his hand. And he intends on stabbing me with this needle and presumably giving me AIDS or some other whatever, I assume AIDS, that he has. And he keeps shuffling towards me. Now this is where fight or flight mode comes in. I think anyone that's been in life or death situation like that gets into. My initial instincts was I was just so enraged that I'm just trying to do this nice thing to sell these greeting cards and this person is going to try to murder me while I'm doing it. I planned in my head like Jason Bourne, I was going to deflect the hypodermic needle with my artboard and then I was going to punch this guy out. That was my plan. So I got ready. I was in my head planning how I was going to deflect it with the artboard. He gets maybe five feet from me. And then his voice at the back of my head says, 
why are you risking your entire life? You made over $200. <laughs> you can buy gifts. Just go the fuck home. And I listened to that voice and I quickly picked up my report and ran to the subway and got on a train and sped away. But who would have known what could have happened if I decided to take that to a brawl? Was that the scariest moment of your life? It went back and forth between scary and, and pure anger. And I don't get angry that often, but just the audacity, if you will. And most homeless people are very respectful and, and fine. But this just happened to be someone that had completely lost it. And to this day, tell me the story of how every once in a while you'll be walking somewhere <laughs> and you'll just see him in a window. Or at least you catch a glimpse and you think it's him, but it never really is. He shows up again every December and whenever greeting cards are opened and he just yells from outside. I'll kill you in the worst way possible. <laughs> at this point, me and my family just laugh at it. We just start bawling. We're on the floor rolling around. We're like, oh, jeez, you and that needle again. And it's just become a holiday tradition. And it's one of those fake weaponized ones that where the right, needle right, retracts. Right. It's just a plastic and needle. It's just candid camera all along. If I just went along with the bit, I could have been on TV. <laughs> yeah, the guy to debrief you on the joke couldn't catch up with you because you ran too fast. Right, right, right. Yeah. Thank you so much, Razlo, for your contribution to this Halloween episode. I can't wait to talk to you next week, even though we actually already talk and I've got it recorded. I just gotta edit it up and upload it for next week. Ah. So, should we end this episode? Or should I contribute a story of my own? Perhaps I shall. <laughs> the story I'm gonna share is going to be the terror in the woods. This is, again, a true story. This has to do with Capture the Flag. Yeah, that's right. The old school game that people still play. I think it's really popular in scout groups. Maybe at campgrounds. You divide a whole bunch of people into two teams and you have a dividing line. On one side of the line, you have one team. On the other side, you have the other team. And once you cross the line to the other team's zone, their border, if you will, well then, if they touch you, you're their prisoner and you get captured into their jail, their prison. And then if one of your teammates is brave enough to come all the way and find the prison in the enemy territory, if they're able to touch you, you're free to go. But why even ever go into the enemy territory? Well, that's the name of the game. Capture the flag. You have to try to capture your enemy team's flag and bring it back into your own home base. So let's go back, all the way back into the 80s. When I was a child, I was in Cub Scouts and I had a whole bunch of Cub Scouts camp on the other side of this lake that I grew up on. Grew up in Hinkley, this kind of suburb rural area of Cleveland. And we had this five-acre lake. My father was the den master for our local Cub Scouts. 
So we all had a camp out, my father in charge, and of course we had the obligatory campfire horror stories, the ghost stories, if you will. Truth be told, some of the most popular ghost stories in my life have to do with Bernard. Bernard is the ghost that supposedly haunts the house in which I was raised. The house that shares the same property as the campsite of which we were staying on the other side of the lake. Now Bernard, this is a true story, you can check out the Hinkley police records to verify this. Bernard was a teenager, if I remember correctly, or if what I was told was correct that committed suicide in the five-acre lake back in the 70s. But Bernard committed suicide by rowing a little wooden rowboat into the middle of the lake. He tied a cement block to his ankle and threw it overboard and drowned. The next day, they couldn't find Bernard, but they found the toad, the name of the little wooden rowboat, floating in the middle of the lake. So the Hinkley police had to come on out and had to drag the lake looking for the body of Bernard. And they found the body of Bernard. Now supposedly, the ghost of Bernard perpetually haunts this Hinkley property, this lake and the surrounding area. So of course, these Cub Scouts, these children of the age around 10 were being told all these Bernard stories. And I remember one child in particular being especially afraid. That child, probably shouldn't say his name, but I'm going to do it anyway. Brian Grill. Now, Brian Grill was an interesting case because his older brother Joey was actually one of the Cub Scouts. Brian, well, he was just a Tiger Scout. He wasn't even yet a Cub Scout. He wasn't a Weeblo or anything like that. He was too young, too little, but... He had nowhere to go, so his father was chaperoning Joey and Brian. So little five-year-old Brian was with his older brother Joey and their father. But let's get back to the game, capture the flag. Because all the children are terrified and you can't end the evening with ghost stories. Oh no, otherwise they'll never go to sleep, they'll be terrified. So instead you gotta end the evening with a nice fun game of capture the flag. It's dark. The campfire and flashlights are all that's really lighting the way. There's an open field, and Brian Grill is hanging out with his older brother, Joey Grill, the little five-year-old boy. He didn't want to be separated from Joey. No, he was too scared for him, and he just didn't feel comfortable, especially after hearing all these Bernard ghost stories. But Brian got a little brave, and started straying away from the group. He got a little close to the lake, too. And then, I wish I was making this up, Brian suddenly fell to the ground, not of his own accord, but as if some force had pulled his foot from under him. And when he looked and rolled onto his back, his pant leg was still being grabbed onto, and it seemed to be being held by a shadow a shadowy figure, and it continued to pull, and pulled harder and harder until Brian was being dragged into the woods, and not just slowly dragged, O'Brien screamed, trust me when I tell you, 
You can hear in someone's voice when they believe they're going to die, and Brian Grill thought he was being dragged into the pits of hell itself. And not only was he being dragged into the pits of hell, he was being dragged quickly because we could hear him screaming and it was moving almost as if he had gotten snagged in some type of rope trap. What was going on? What was happening? What the hell was dragging little Brian Grill deeper and deeper into the woods? It was our pet Doberman dog, Cody. You see, Cody loved to play rough with us and myself at our home in this Hinkley house near Cleveland, Ohio. When she played rough, one of her favorite things to do was to affectionately grab our cuff from our pants and would pull our legs out from under us. Now, normally this would be done on our front yard in pure daylight and we could see Cody clear as day. But she thought, oh, it was wonderful because here's all these little fun boys running around screaming and having fun, and here's one that's smaller than the rest. Easy pickings. Going for the survival of the fittest, she went for the smallest kid possible. And not only could she pull this kid's legs from out from under him, but she could run almost full speed with this kid's pants in her mouth. Eventually, Brian screaming had to undo his pants, and off went Cody running with his pants into the woods. This kid was terrified, so terrified, in fact. Let's time travel. Fast forward. <laughs> We're fast forwarding about 15 years later. I'm at some social gathering party and there's some people from high school there. In comes Brian Grill. And I see Brian Grill and oh my goodness, he grew up to be a fine young man. And I couldn't help but think, Brian Grill, the only thing I really remember and know about Brian Grill is that my dog Cody terrified him. And I wondered, as my parents did, if they were going to sue us for what had happened or if he had to go to therapy for everything. Now, my parents never got the lawsuit, but I was talking with Brian and after I got comfortable with him and we kind of established a baseline of friendship, I asked him, Hey, hey Brian, do you remember camping out? at my house with the Cub Scouts when you were a little kid? And this was Brian's response. Remember it. I still have nightmares about it all the damn time. <laughs> the Terror in the Woods. Now, probably better yet are stories of Bernard. I could share those, perhaps at a later date. But in order for me to do that, I need some encouragement. So please, please, please write in via podcast at TuesdayNightGames.com. Please send us your questions, your concerns, or better yet, your own stories. Let me know if you want to hear some Bernard stories. You can follow us on the tweets as well, at PlayTKG. I'm Alan Gerding, A-L-A-N-G-E-R-Ding. Find me on the Facebooks and the tweets. And I think with that being said, we should say that this episode is... <laughs> Finished.